Yes. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I already had my highlight reel moment this morning. Communion. I just, uh, I was just gripped anew by, I thought, the delight that Christ must have in, uh, I mean, he gave his life so that real people like us, all of us, could be in a close relationship with him. He did that for us. Uh, and, uh, and I just thought, as, as people were coming forward, each of you, I just, I thought, wow, what a blessing. I can just see Christ smiling. This is why I came. And I would like more. I'd like more to get in on it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for just the reminder this morning to me about um, this is the kind of king that you are. You, you came to give everything so that your people, Lord, would know the blessing, the blessing of being reunited with you in a relationship of love and trust. Lord, as we open your word this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would hear from you. Amen. Well, uh, I was asked whether I was going to continue on the Exodus series that I did like long time ago. No, I'm sorry, I'm not going to. I'm going to finish up on the Galatians series. I'm going to continue on that for the next few weeks. Uh, that was started and that many from our congregation have been, have been sharing and, and pre preaching along the way. Today I want to talk about freedom. Freedom. Freedom is a deeply held value in our culture. A precious, life-changing gift that has long been a major theme in numerous stories, songs, movies. I remember way back in the early 90s when a movie came out to the big screen called Free Willy. Some of you remember that. That movie drew attention to whale captivity at a level never before seen. And spurred on by growing public attention to this issue, animal rights activists diligently worked to free the now famous Kiko from years of captivity. The exhaustive uh, rehabilitation required to prepare Kiko to be set free included construction at that time of a $7.3 million rehabilitation facility at the Oregon Coast Aquarium in 1995. It was hoped that it would pave the way for his eventual return to the North Atlantic Ocean where he was first captured. In July 2002, seven years after the initial efforts to free Willie, Kiko swam out into the open ocean. For several days, he interacted with other wild orcas, raising hopes that his journey to freedom was complete. But rather than stay, in the wide expanse of the ocean before him, Kiko voluntarily returned to his small confines of the aquarium that he had grown so accustomed to. Perhaps he felt more comfortable living with the routines of life in captivity rather than fending for himself in the wilds of the ocean. The Christians to whom Paul wrote in the province of Galatia had also experienced a release from captivity. Theirs was a newfound freedom from obsessions, fears, and the addictions of the pagan culture that had shaped and dictated their lives for so long. 
Now, just to be clear, I know as well as you do that one of the commonly held beliefs in our culture today is that becoming a Christian is one of the most restrictive things a person can do. After all, if you become religious, you are no longer free. Free, that is, to say and do whatever it is that you want. And actually, given Paul's words of warning about religion in this letter, we, too, we do well to acknowledge that religion can become what Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. A yoke of slavery. I invite you to turn to that. We're going to read that in a moment. Galatians 5. Now, we can listen to voices that convince us to live with far more rules and restrictions and limitations than God desires. You know, when, when I grew up, there was no dancing, no drinking, no smoking, and you, there was a whole list there. You know, real Christians don't, and you can fill in the blank, whatever it is that you grew up with. Now, when we really understand the freedom that Christ gives, freedom to live unself-centered lives. Can you imagine that, living an unself-centered life? Well, well if, when we really understand that kind of freedom that Christ gives us, we will discover, as Paul did, that being a follower of Christ ought to be the most truly liberating thing a person can do. Now, if you don't believe me, I hope you'll stick around for the next 15 minutes or so as we explore Galatians 5 and what Paul has to say about the true nature of freedom. How to experience it, how to avoid the ever-present dangers that threaten to restrict it. Hey, let's read Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 15. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to you, every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is 
fulfilled in keeping the one, this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. May the Lord bless, bless the reading of his word. Well, the first thing that we learn in this opening verse is that God wants us to be free. He really does. Right from the very beginning of creation, when God formed the first human beings, he gave them an incredible amount of freedom. Indeed, the only restriction, the only limit that he placed on them was to not eat from one tree in the garden. And even that was probably only until they were mature enough to handle it. But Adam and Eve believed Satan's most famous and frequently used lie, that God is a killjoy, restrictive, anti-freedom. And they learned the hard way that believing that lie and living as if it's true actually ends up severely restricting one's freedom rather than enhancing it. Evil is an invention of freedom that undermines it. They were no longer free to be totally vulnerable with one another or with God, and humanity has been trying to cover a whole lot of things up ever since. Uh, wearing masks, as we heard this morning. So God came to earth in person to liberate us. And Paul has a, a particular freedom in mind. He uses the definite article in Greek, the freedom. The freedom that Christ accomplished for us when on the cross he took upon himself the consequences that we deserve for our sin. We're probably all familiar with stories of sacrificial love that are truly inspiring. Uh, never forget the closing scene in, save, in the movie Saving Private Ryan with, with Captain Miller, you know, as he's dying, and they have worked so hard to save Private Ryan so that he will be saved even though his other brothers have died. And so Paul is saying, remember, essentially, that Christ died to set you free. And stand firm then in this freedom. And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And the metaphor that Paul uses, a, a yoke, comes from a farm imagery. It was often used actually in a positive sense by Jews that one would become yoked with the law of Moses. Or take Jesus' own words. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So it could be very positive. But yoke could also be used negatively in the sense like Paul uses it here, a yoke of slavery. And this goes all the way back to ancient times. The Galatians had known what it was like to live under a yoke of slavery. Back in chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said, formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. And it is worth noting that slavery can and does often take on many different forms, right? Slavery to drugs and alcohol, but also to bitterness, greed, anger, superstition, and the list just goes on. And while the, the Galatians had been freed from various pagan forms of slavery, 
Paul is warning them here of a distinctively religious kind of slavery. Slavery to what I would call merit-based religion. What is merit-based religion rather than grace-based religion? Well, how many of you have ever played video games? You know, spend a lot of hours playing video games. That is a merit-based system, right? If you do the right things and you, uh, you know, I, I grew up with Pac-Man, you know, and you eat the right things, right? you make it to a certain level and you just want to keep, you know, it's all based on what you can do. That's a merit-based system. And in a merit-based system, an MBS, you have to justify yourself to make yourself good enough to earn a certain status or favor of the one or ones that you are trying to please. And Paul says, if you let yourselves be circumcised, essentially you will be buying into a merit-based system in which what Christ has done for you and does for you will be of no value to you at all. Why? Because in an MBS, it becomes all about what you do, not what Christ has done for you. In a merit-based system, you'll spend your life trying to measure up with no assurance that what you do will be good enough. This includes, as I discovered, Madonna. Madonna, in talking about her career uh, a while back, said this, My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel, feel I am still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I am somebody. And my struggle has never ended. And I guess it never will. A merit-based system. In verse, in a merit-based system, you'll never know if or when you measure up. In, Paul, in verse 7, Paul uses an athletic metaphor to, to review their spiritual progress. When Paul saw the Galatians beginning their journey of faith, and he heard the way that, uh, that they were following Christ, the reports of their progress were encouraging. You were running a good race. So it was all the more shocking and troubling, I think, to hear that they had been sidetracked so quickly. The language Paul uses here is, is that of being impeded, of being hindered rather than helped by their new spiritual coaches. The kind of advice that they were getting on how to make better progress spiritually, Paul says it's not Christian because it's not grace-based. It's not Christ-centered. It is not spirit-driven. The kind of advice they are giving on how to make better progress spiritually is not Christian. Most so-called spiritualities then and in our day continue to uh, put the focus on the wrong place. On what I am, what I can do. But the foundation and focus of a truly Christian spirituality must be and remained Christ-centered. 
what he has done and what he continues to do through his Holy Spirit's empowering presence in our lives. And that's a, a focus that we'll look at even more next, in next week's message in the, the last half of Galatians. But here's message. Keep standing firm in Christ and on his grace. And he gives them this word of encouragement. And I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. You will see this is the way. Well, these very encouraging words to his brothers and sisters in the faith are followed by some very harsh words for the spiritual misdirectors that they have been that have been throwing them into confusion, hindering rather than helping them, even though they've claimed, we're helping you. That person or group of people, Paul says, will have to pay the penalty. And Paul's judgment metaphor in verse 12, it is very harsh, isn't it? And I was reminded, though, Jesus also had some very harsh words for anyone causing his children to stumble. Remember Jesus' words? Matthew 18, verse 6. It would be better if they had a large millstone placed around their neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. This is serious business. Because eternal destinies are at stake. And he says those agitators, as Paul calls them, they had clearly also tried to misrepresent Paul as well. That, oh, he also is still preaching circumcision like we're telling you about. And if Paul had carried on missionary work in his pre-Christian days as a Jew, he may well have done that, he would certainly have preached circumcision. That is, taking on the marks or the yoke of the Moses law as essential for having a right relationship with God. But everything changed when he encountered Christ, or rather was encountered by Christ, on that road to Damascus. The story in Acts chapter 9. His entire life was given a new foundation and a new direction and purpose. And he went from being a persecutor of Christ and his followers to being persecuted for Christ and with his followers. He was, we would say, totally canceled by his previous Jewish supporters. And their ongoing persecution of Paul was clear evidence that his cross-centered message and their merit-based message both sounded spiritual, but they were fundamentally incompatible. And this explains, I think, his repeated calls to be vigilant. Verse 1, do not let yourselves. And then verse 2, do not let yourselves. Uh, verse 3, I declare to every man who lets himself. And verse 8, that kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Like, that is, is not it. These verses reminded me of a, of a memorable lecture uh, Dr. Ian Proven gave that uh, my wife Elaine and I went to when, when I was on sabbatical. And to illustrate how distorted ideas and ideologies get smuggled into our personal and collective lives um, and how dangerous they are, he, he used the illustration and story of the cuckoo bird. Are you familiar with the cuckoo bird? Well, the European cuckoo cuckoo in particular, which migrates to Europe from Africa every spring, uh, looks like a lovely bird, but it's known as a brood parasite. I'll explain why. That's because rather than raise its own young, 
it sneaks into another bird's nest and replaces one of those eggs with one of its own. And I don't know how it does it, but the egg looks very similar to the, you know, the eggs look very similar. And so it's difficult to spot. And most of the birds, they don't notice. And so the host bird raises the cuckoo chick, thinking it's one of its own. But the cuckoo is, from the moment of its birth, an assassin. Yeah. It pushes, it hatches first, and it will push all of the other eggs out of the nest. So it gets its, its adopted parents undivided attention, all the food, and it squawks really loud, and so they feed it, and they feed it. And it gets all of the food, and it quickly grows to two to three times the size of its adoptive parents. Yes, this is really true. And according to Dr. Proven, unbiblical ideas are like cuckoo chicks in the Christian nest. Smuggled in, difficult to spot, but in reality they are foreign bodies in our Christian nest and a threat to the survival of the family. They can misdirect us to our doom. Well, Paul is saying one kind of cuckoo to be wary of is any merit-based system, whether it's religious or secular. There's a second cuckoo we'll just look at briefly that Paul warns his brothers and sisters about in, in verse 13. It's misnamed as freedom. It's rooted in self-indulgence, and it gives free reign to our selfish desires. It's the popular one in our culture. Freedom is doing whatever you want, as long as it doesn't harm someone else, according to my definition of harm. Not, okay? And it is called very good. But Christ, Paul says, didn't free us so that we would waste it. Any more than if in Saving Private Ryan, if Captain Miller and the company gave their lives to save Private Ryan so he would spend the rest of his life in self-indulgent. What a waste. And so it's only reasonable that a freedom that cost so much would be used for the greater good and lived as a response of gratitude to the giver for such amazing grace. That, friends, is a far wiser and better way to use our God-given freedom, isn't it? So Paul says, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want. Use it as an opportunity to serve each other with love. For all the law says can be summed up in the command to love others as much as you love yourself. If we allow the love of God and neighbor to motivate and guide us, if God's spirit is free to reshape and redirect our desires to want what God wants and to love like God loves, then the whole list of laws become unnecessary because we will be free indeed. I want to close with a story that I heard years ago of two brothers. Both brothers went into farming together and they decided that they were going to split everything 50-50. 
But then one brother got married, and he had children while the other brother remained single. And one day the brother with the wife and kids got thinking, you know, this 50-50 arrangement, you know, really isn't fair. But he wasn't sure that his brother would renegotiate the terms. So he decided he would just sneak out at night and move grain from one set of bins to the other set of bins. And, well, it so happened that one day the unmarried brother also got to thinking their 50-50 agreement wasn't really very fair. So he also made up his mind that he would slip out of the house at night once in a while and slip some grain from one bin into the other bin. Well, this went on for some time without either brother knowing what the other one was doing until one night... They snuck out of their homes at the same time. And pretty much at the same time, they were each carrying a bag of grain to the other, from one bin to the other. They bumped into each other and realized who the other person was, and they discovered there was a lot of explaining to do. And when it did, and when they did, it came out that the married brother had been moving grain from his bins to his unmarried brother's bins. Because, you know, having a wife and kids, he felt like he had so much more than his unmarried brother, and he wanted to try to even things up a little. And the unmarried brother had been sneaking grain from his bins to his married brother's bins. Because he thought, you know, he's got a wife and kids, he needs more than I do. I need to even things up a little. And after they had finished confessing their stories to one another, they decided to build a monument to the Lord as a testimony of his goodness to both of them. It would be amazing to be freed from self-interest wouldn't it? So I wonder, how are you going to use the freedom that Christ has given you this week? I invite the worship team to come up as they're coming. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we live in a world that rightly longs for freedom and seeks it, but doesn't realize that, Lord, whenever we pursue self-interest, it is going to restrict our freedom because it is going to lead us away from you and from a truly fulfilling life together. Lord, I pray that you would continue to liberate us by your Spirit. Lord, you have, the freedom that we have in you has so costly. And Lord, you don't want us to earn it, but you do want us to just live in response and gratitude to you and to, uh, and to live for you and for others. Lord, I pray that as we have opportunities to use our freedom this week, Lord, that we, will, that we will use it in ways that are truly liberating. Amen.
Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship, teaching us a new song, and sending us off. I have a little homework for you this week. Can you memorize a verse? No. Okay, I'll give it to you first, and then you can... Uh... It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Can you say that with me? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. See, you've already got half the verse memorized. Right? Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. You try that? Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Can you memorize that? <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's the goal. I want you to carry that one, carry that one with you this week. Before you, before you go, just a reminder, the talent show this coming Saturday, tickets are available still, and I encourage you to, to go out and purchase those following the service. You can get them at the door too, but if I tell you that, then you'll just put it off till then. But it is true. Okay, uh, Elder Care Fund. If you'd like to donate towards that, uh, you can do that uh, separately at the back. There's some envelopes, and the ushers would be glad to take that. And if you would like prayer, uh, Gordon and Nett, if you could just make your way over up here, and uh, they would love to be able to pray for you. If you are feeling bound, and you think, is, can I really be freed from this? Yes, you can. You really can. And Christ wants you to be free. And so, and it's great to have somebody else to pray with us. So it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right? Amen. Let us go and serve the Lord in the freedom he has given us.